0: Blessed Sacrament Lutheran Church, Historic Christian Orthodoxy, the Evangelical Lutheran Faith, in the beautiful inland northwest. At 7,123 feet, you can find mountains soaring above you and rivers running swiftly in the valley below you, natural beauty of every kind. But our God is richer in his gifts than this.
1: Dr. Koontz, what is the Lutheran Church?
0: <laughs> it is there's so many different ways you could answer that. The Lutheran Church, let's answer, let's answer it most ideally, right? The Lutheran Church, when it is what it ought to be, is simply Christianity taught according to the Bible. And kept inside bounds, kept on its own rails by the Lutheran confessions? There are lots of other ways to answer that question because the ideal is often not reached. That doesn't mean that ideals shouldn't or don't exist. It simply means that they are difficult of attainment. So they are a goal. They are an aspiration. I want to improve. I want to do better New Year's resolution should exist also for churches as well as individuals.
1: All right. So what is it really? (laughs) Really,
0: it is often, as every other church suffers from being not only below biblical expectations, but even below its lesser historical expectations. So sub-biblical would mean that we don't know what's in the Bible, or we don't teach what's in the Bible or we don't know how to apply what's in the Bible. Being below even our own historical expectations would mean that, you know, (laughs) that would be like walking into a McDonald's and all they have for you to buy are Whoppers, which is sometimes the case in Lutheran churches, that you walk into a Lutheran church and what you're getting is functionally something that is Depending on the region of the country, more Pentecostal or more evangelical, or even I've been in Lutheran churches that were more sort of Vatican II, Roman Catholic, and I don't just mean liturgically than Lutheran. So really, we, you know, we fall below the expectations that we have for ourselves. I don't think that means that those expectations should disappear or that we should settle or Certainly not that we should just be consumed by this awareness that things are not as they should be. And if everyone would just straighten up right now, I mean, if you look at the way that we talked about the Old Testament last week, if you look at the Old Testament, you find that practice in accordance with God's word is relatively rare in the history of Israel. There are a couple of kings in the whole scheme of things. That doesn't mean that faith disappears, nor does it mean that if you find the law, you shouldn't read it and, and change. It simply means that you should not be surprised by the presence of the sub-biblical in the church. That, that seems to be relatively normal, if also lamentable.
1: So is it best conceived of as an institution or as a movement?
0: The Lutheran church uh, should be conceived of simply as Christianity, I think that thinking of ourselves as even a, you know, uh, in, I think this is Carl Broughton's words, a ref- a reforming movement within the church Catholic, or is that peepcorn? I don't know who cares yeah. on some level. Yeah. Even thinking of ourselves that way, I think lends too much. There's a sort of navel gazing that uh, all people, including Lutherans like to engage in because their favorite subject is themselves. And what is the use of that on some level? If I recognize that we are prone to say, just give you a concrete example. I think that Lutherans are very good at appropriating Paul's doctrine of justification by faith, his articulation specifically of it. There's something that attends that doctrine of justification by faith in Paul's own life that I very rarely hear Lutherans talk about, which is, if you believe that God has judged mankind in the sacrifice and the death of Jesus Christ, then you will begin to reckon human judgments about your own life as relatively light, because you know God's judgment in Jesus Christ. Okay, So other courts just have a, because of that, consequently lesser importance. This is why Paul can say things like, It is a light thing to me, whether I am judged by you or any human court, I do not even judge myself, okay? So I stop conceiving of everything in terms of how people talk about me or think about me. That's very practical. I just don't really hear sermons about it or discussion of it, mostly. So that's an example where the Bible has a lot to say, even about something very closely related to something about which we talk a lot. And thinking about why we didn't get that or why that might be or anything, I mean, there's a limit at some point, like the, there's a limit to the amount of explanation that you need to provide as to why you are a specific kind of a sinner. Just just repent and, and, and as we say in the confessional right? try to do better, intend to do better, ask for God's grace to do better. You don't need to go on obsessing about why the Lutherans are bad at this or bad at that because on some level, it doesn't matter. You know, like I, I don't know, for example, as we talked about last week, I don't know why Lutherans seem so prone to immediate and unthinking compliance. I don't know. I don't have some kind of completely comprehensive explanation for that. I just know that it's destroying us in certain specific instances. So I want us not to do it, you know?
1: I think there's still some question as to whether or not we're church and that the the struggle that the early Waltharian debates had um, settled the matter somewhat institutionally uh, and culturally and as as that has then been jettisoned we now are sort of a ship without a rudder and while certainly the justification of the sinner before god is dogmatically something that many of us will cling to and even teach and preach it has not been a material principle of our practice in any demonstrable way for for some time
0: so i think that i mean concretely if you say okay well what how did, we, how did we figure out how to govern ourselves since? And, and I, I mean, especially coming from the seminary that I went to, where I also teach, there's a lot to the Missouri Senate and Missouri Senate history that doesn't have anything to do with the collapse of authority that happened in the Mississippi River Valley. Even, even still, what replaced that was basically sort of cultural government by the clerical caste, okay? Who were often intermarried and especially the ones who taught at Concordia Seminary St. Louis. That's why Seminex is a big deal, folks. It's not just because of the doctrinal fights about what the Bible was. It's because our governing class, who were even then in the early 1970s intermarried, failed to govern us. Then that fell apart, okay? So when that happens, none of that's in the Bible, of course. It's just the way the history worked out. But when that happened, we had nothing to replace it except bureaucratic processes. Okay. Those also lack credibility at this point in time, largely. Everyone I know loves to complain about the Missouri Senate, even the people that work for it. So when that's the case, you need something to replace it that somebody can talk about unironically. Okay. Because fruitful authority doesn't talk about itself ironically. I don't talk about being a father or a husband ironically. Okay. Okay that would be disgusting because I actually believe in those things. I do. Right. So I don't need to like talk about it in a jaded way. So we need to have things that people can talk about in a non jaded way. I don't talk ironically about organizing with your congregation, including your pastor or organizing with local people or whatever for specific objectives that you have that will be able to foster your congregation or your family or your local community or whatever. So The question that I ask myself isn't so much like, you know, are the, why are the Lutherans doing this? Why is this going wrong? I mean, because I don't even have answers on some level. It's how can we fix something? Okay. And that might be my congenital optimism, but it's also just like, we need to go forward. So how can we do that? How can I, how can I end up eventually going to a meeting of pastors and it's not just, people complaining about how their churches aren't working because that's not going to work in the future. That's not that's not enough to survive the kinds of difficulties that we're going through.
1: So, and and I don't mean to be you know, pursuing the ironic speaking, but you know, how does one then belong to something that doesn't seem to exist outside of the local congregation?
0: I think it does exist outside the local congregation, or this conversation that we're having would not be possible. Right, there are like micro synods, for example, that have splintered off from the ELCA, et cetera, that barely exist outside maybe five or six congregations. Okay, and might be somebody's sort of personal project. The reason that people in the LCMS get agonized about the LCMS is because it is real <laughs> above the congregational level, and it is palpable when you come into it from the outside that these people all have a lot in common with each other. Okay. For example, assumptions about doctrine, not just, so not just that you have a lot in in common culturally or something, or you have institutions in common, that's true, but also that you have doctrinal assumptions that you haven't had to revisit. Okay. Which is good. And the reason that people complain about the LCMS is because they care. Similar dynamics go on in the Roman Catholic church because it's church for people. It's not just a completely optional thing that could just go away and everything would be fine. Now, could it go away organizationally, institutionally? Sure. But the problem is, biblically speaking, churches need to be connected to each other. They just are. And so something would have to replace that. So my thinking is, as long as we have something, why don't we try to make it as good as it can be until it can't be anymore? or until it does survive in some sort of altered
1: form. The question, the only other question then, I guess, is what about when and where it is, it's kind of like what we, we opened the show with last time, uh, when the sword is being used against itself, as, a, as it were, when it is um, working to destroy its own self?
0: Yeah, I, I, don't, I, I don't think that it is, I think that the nature of our difficulties are usually difficulties of silence, and apathy and inattention rather than malice. So a guy we talked about last week, the district attorney, federal district attorney, or I'm sorry. uh, Yeah. Federal district attorney in, in Philadelphia, Larry Krasner, you know, if the murder rate is what it is and he knows it and everybody knows it, and he's still saying there's no spike in violence occurring. It's hard not to conclude that there's malice there in our case there seems simply to be a presumption of normalcy that is misplaced. And that is governing a sense that we can keep lots of things going that may not be possible. Right. And in private conversation, people will tell you, yeah, I don't know if we're going to be able to have this and have that and have this school and, you know, get this kind of money and blah, blah, blah. But publicly we don't talk about it. I mean, one thing that, that, certainly I'm trying to do, I think you're trying to do too, is begin to talk about things publicly that practically affect our collective life. Because if we don't do it, that's not going to make it better, right? Like I had no idea before both of them closed that two of our Concordias were sort of in hoc to essentially a very sketchy, you know, educational enhancement company, Hot Chalk, which is now sued the Missouri synod yeah you know yeah. i had no idea you know that that i mean that just seems like an obvious mess most people had no idea that was going on not even people like ourselves that would actually know about this stuff i'm not saying like you know my, my dad like goes to church in an lcms congregation I, he doesn't need to know about this but like maybe a person like myself knows about this i didn't know i had no idea so those kinds of things, you know, not talking about what is actually happening is ultimately extremely detrimental, right? And, and you can't just turn people away when they bring up practical questions like that. I mean, when repentance occurs, very kind of boringly practical questions come up. The tax collectors show up and say, okay, we don't know how to not defraud people. So John the Baptist, what do we do? because we've never done anything except to fraud people. The soldiers want to know, what do we do when we're not forcing ourselves in pe- into people's homes? How are we supposed to live now? You have to have very practical discussions.
1: What's a year of grace?
0: A year of grace is what we are now in and what we are entering into in 2022. And now
1: You sound like a prosperity gospel preacher right now. Let me tell you Yeah, that. yeah right, exactly.
0: <laughs> yeah, you're going to be so blessed and you're going to get really wealthy and everything. I mean, I think, This is a term that is used kind of in two different ways in church history. One is for the Christian year as a year of grace, which of course begins in Advent, but also, and you'll see it used by the same people, for the civil year, the calendar year 2022, a new year. And that is a view that I think needs to govern how you think about time, also the the time of our church body, the time of our congregations the time of whatever your family goes through this year is a year of grace. And what they mean by that is that a day that you wake up in which God is pleased with mankind for the sake of Jesus Christ is a time of grace. Right. And this is the way that even hardships are looked at in the letter to the Hebrews, where even difficulties are seen as the disciplining of sons, rather than chastisements and destructions. So, to look at this year as a year of grace is is not you know just oh you know I hope things work out. It is a Christian affirmation of the providence of God, the fatherhood of God. Uh, the government of Christ, the King over his body, the church, it's an affirmation about how time passes for God's people. So whatever it is that we're going to talk about in this episode, about what may be happening this year, things we see occurring trends that not just may develop, but, but are continuing from the previous year. All of that is for, is for God's people under his grace for the sake of Christ. So, I look at it as all to the good, honestly, all to the good for them that love him, that are called according to his purpose.
1: It gets back to um, uh, something I said last episode that has been kind of pressing on me, uh, which (laughs) is the extreme value of remembering the sojourning nature of this (laughs) life that that it is a it is a passing thing and you know there's there's ways that pagans talk about this too but um i think the christian the christian view of it is is eminently different Uh, Mm -hmm. that uh, the the present suffering uh is a journey through a wilderness that is going to explode into a paradise which will so overwhelm and uh, outmode whatever we have lost or seem to have lost here Mm -hmm. that Uh, That it will it will blow away uh, all tears and how hard that has been to remember or to dwell on in the zeitgeist of American entertainment culture. Uh, I'm now at least personally paying the price for it as I, as I have to rediscover it. I think, Uh, you know, I could always talk about it. It wasn't like there, there isn't the, the the dogmatic understanding of the thing, but it's different uh, to say to wake up in the morning and remember that this suffering is a gift that you are walking through that will again explode into something significantly more even to the level where you would hope that it would happen today that you would believe with some sort of integrity it could happen today
0: Mm -hmm. right yeah The, the idea that time is actually governed by god your life is governed by god And that you were were chosen before the foundation of the world to be blessed in Jesus Christ. Basic affirmations of the Christian faith, predestination in Ephesians chapter one, being therefore an extremely practical teaching of the Bible. All those things are opportunities that we have as we have been tried, especially in the past two years, opportunities we have for growth, of all kinds of every kind in Christ. And so that is why I, I mean, I have been, I have been moved certainly to a much greater gratitude for time, time given um, and time I have spent with people. I love doing things. I love doing this for you guys. I have been moved to enormous gratitude in the past two years, gratitude that I didn't have when, you know, we could not have imagined discussing some of the things that we'll discuss later in this hour because i was taking existence for granted hmm. not explicitly and certainly not as a matter of faith but i was and now i am not certainly not to the same degree
1: yeah yeah uh with the sons of solomon.net you can you know join the prayer movement but uh, Psalm, I believe it is, 123, uh, said in the morning about how uh, we, are, we are pressed by the contempt of the proud, by the scorn of those who are at ease. And bring back our captivity, O Lord. Uh, Psalm 126 says, and there's some debate about how you might translate that. And some more modern translations will we'll shift that, but I, I think I think the initial King James is, is is right that there is a tremendous freedom in reckoning with the captivity of us in our sin, clarified by the cross of Jesus Christ so that we are no longer filled with the scorn of ease in carnal flesh and a life that expects this life to be what ought to be. So, yeah, I must have said it well, for it in silence. So let's, let's move into then the 70s and 80s and your prophesying about this next year.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I did a little of this last week, so the listener won't be totally caught off guard is that the 1970s are, as we talked a little bit about in some of the Hollywood episodes, very reminiscent politically, criminologically, economically, they're very reminiscent of our current circumstances. Politically, you have massive disagreement in the American populace about what is good and what is bad in seemingly very basic ways. Criminologically, you have enormous spikes in especially violent crime, not just you know thefts of desperation, but organized groups seizing enormous amounts of valuable goods, spikes in assaults, rapes, murders, drug overdoses, especially since the beginning of lockdowns in 2020. So we are looking at a time of enormous upheaval. Also, economically, as we talked about last time, you're dealing with, as we were in the 1970s, um, a combination of potential recession, a sense that people are not doing well, along with inflation that is making it difficult to afford things that are basic, growing poverty, growing homelessness. Now, I talked a little bit about cities last time I talked specifically about Philadelphia, but I think that thinking about cities, some of this can be very much like, okay, well, if I get out into the country, then I won't see homeless people. And that is largely true. Although in the 1930s or the 1890s, we had very large recessions and you had hobos and homelessness also in the country. So I would be prepared to see that if you haven't seen that already because people need to go somewhere and they're trying to go somewhere. The difference being that today they have much greater access to services in cities. So I think they're more they're more prone to stay in cities maybe than they were in the 30s or the 1890s, because there's a lot more available for them there freely than if they try to go out into the middle of nowhere. However, all that said, the thing about the 70s is that you get enormous instability and a lot of it gets sort of eclipsed by a prosperity in the 80s, but that prosperity in the 80s was not a prosperity for all segments of the American population. So this is just kind of something to keep in mind when you read American history is that often what you were taught in high school was about a certain segment of the United States. Okay, so let me give you a couple examples in this regard. Prosperity in the 1980s, Sure. That's true for people that live in suburbs. It's not true for people that live anywhere that manufacturing matters. And it's not true for a large number of farmers, especially in the Midwest, as the dairy industry collapses and paying mortgages on all the things that you have mortgaged as a farmer, your land, probably your machinery too, Becomes prohibitively expensive in the 1980s, and farmers begin killing themselves in large numbers uh, because they simply cannot afford to keep their family on their land. Okay. So, those deaths of despair, you might say, are things that we already have seen for a long time with the opioid epidemic um, in places like Appalachia. But I would expect to see simply in larger segments of the American population because the nature of the inflation will hit many more of us than it did in the 70s and 80s because of the degree to which all of us are integrated into common systems, such as the need for consumer debt to afford the lifestyles that we have, the need to have 30-year mortgages um, in very expensive places in order to live in those places and to make money in those places. So if you think about how relatively expensive Much larger sectors of life and how much more we consume. I mean, go look at the average square footage of an American house in, say, 1978 and compare it to 2021. We're paying a lot more for a lot more. So, our ability to pay matters a lot more because so many other things are financially up in the air and we need a certain amount of cash flow just to keep, you know, kind of keep all those balls in the air that we're juggling. So, the thing that I'm Concerned about, let's say, or see as a potentiality, right, for a lot of people is a growing inability to keep all those balls in the air. Because what happens usually in a recession is that, you know, the spending power of the average person contracts, at least for a time. Well, if that recession or that change in the way that work works, also means that you can't afford to have some, you know, small real estate investments that are going to give you a little bit of intergenerational wealth to pass on to your kids, or you can't afford to do a a variety of things that baby boomers were able to afford, but also to save in their, you know, lifetimes, especially in their years of greatest earning power, which came after the, this major, you know, these major difficulties of all kinds in the seventies and early eighties then we haven't really faced a situation where, like we said last time about you know consumption habits and expectations of abundance, we haven't faced that kind of situation before, right? So it's kind of a meme on the internet that they want to make you like eat bugs, right? And that they want to do that in order to do whatever other nefarious new world order things. Even if that doesn't happen, the idea that you can have massive inflation in a country and or if it does happen, a clamp on inflation that then makes life that, that much more difficult for somebody who has borrowed and is now subject to whatever insanely high interest rates, if that does happen. Both of those things are very bad for a person, as most Americans have been for most of our history, who are what you might call small landowners, or at least aspirational landowners with a small amount of things to support their life and then to pass on to the next generation. If that's not possible or it's possible for a much smaller number of people, that will result in changes, not not just in 2022 or something, but for a long time down the pike, such as the difference between, you know, you go, let's say 70 years back you know, let's say right outside Rockford, Illinois, or right outside Madison, Wisconsin, or something, you're going to find people not growing maybe one or two crops, but a wide variety of things, some dairy, some eggs, diversified agriculture, and they will be able to support a family on that small amount of land with that diversified production, not possible anymore. And that has forever changed, certainly the Midwest. What if the whole country now becomes a place where it's not nearly so possible, or maybe not at all possible, to save and to be middle class. I mean, there used to be middle class property owners on the island of Manhattan. <laughs> you know, that's not possible anymore. So, those are changes that I see as potential, not just for 2022, but for the long term.
1: Yeah. And that, that's part of what uh, continues to blow my mind as I wrestle with like what to do. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, well, diversified agriculture historically it would be kind of like the thing to start moving toward but is that even a a reality now and with especially with um uh regulations you know that the, they have made enough laws now that much of what one used to just do you now can't do, at least without the right paperwork, or you just have uh-huh. to go and, and do it anyway. And then again, this we talked about this last time, you know, they, they've made being good illegal a little bit. And, right. uh, you know, you just kind of have to choose to take the consequences of it. Um, and it. And this is not to say that, you know, we are not in the hands of the king, as we've been saying. Um <laughs> But what does that mean? And what does it really look right. like? You know, I, I don't think we can imagine living under Antiochus Epiphanes fourth, And I'm not sure they're going to hang babies around our necks, although they're trying to inject them at various times. Um, but it, it is, it is, uh, it is that weird, I think, uh, what we have to expect coming. It is that alien, that foreign, um, uh, that unnatural. Um, retirement is like, not even on the playbook anymore. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, right, right. And so Provision for one another becomes that much more important. Thinking providently about what needs to happen so that this or that can happen maybe in 20 or 30 years, rather than thinking about what kind of vacation you want to take in two to three months. It's just going to, it's going to change our time horizons, whatever else happens. And that might be a really good thing long-term for a lot of us personally, spiritually, materially even might be really good for us, but it's going to be a painful adjustment.
1: Yeah, because I don't see many people not taking vacations yet. And, <laughs> and <laughs> right. they're, they're, just right, exactly. they're spending
0: it. Exactly. Yep.
1: And that that puts them on flights to places like Mexico rather than, you know, talking about flights white and non-white.
0: Right. Yeah, so flights, usually when you get this discussed in terms of real estate, you talk about something that I really don't find the media talking about, which is what was called in the context of the 70s, white flight, meaning whites previously are the majority occupants of basically everywhere in America, any city, as well as any suburban or rural area. And then after the 70s, they're not, right? And that is generally attributed, as we talked about last time, maybe to racism. I think it has more immediate and personal, especially concerns about violence um, and economic destruction. And when it happens to non-whites, it's called ethnic cleansing. But when it happens to whites, it's kind of like blamed on them. Like they ran away and then property values dropped and it was bad and whatever. But what I find not happening is a discussion of it not even in those racial terms, about how many people are leaving cities, but also certain states, especially California. And I think that may be because it's also occurring for groups like Silicon Valley companies moving to Colorado, moving to Utah, moving to Texas, among groups that have both some amount of power in our regime as Silicon Valley obviously does, but also no investment in being noticed doing what they're doing. So they're avoiding social and criminal chaos in a place like San Francisco, but they don't want to be seen doing that. And they don't want to be seen being quote, like racist. Now, this is something that you will have been aware of for a long time that generally upper middle-class and upper-class left-wing people always live, even when they're not white, in overwhelmingly white places, right? Like Boulder, Colorado is a very white town, okay? <laughs> it's, it's not very diverse, okay? And people from California love to move there. So when you think about that way, this is not a new trend. But it is a trend, and it, it's, it seems to be pictured as it continues to occur. It seems to be pictured by the media as Americans moving to rural areas or Americans moving to suburban areas away from cities, which contravenes the last roughly 20 years of kind of this Richard Florida idea of the creative class. And they all want to live in Miami or LA or something together and be creatives as a noun together. That's going in reverse now. So, so what's happening What's happening is I think people are trying to get away, not from a place that they disagree with necessarily politically. Yeah, there are people moving from California to Idaho or Montana for political reasons. That's great, right? But there are plenty of people moving away from California to Idaho and Montana and Colorado and Utah and Texas and Tennessee simply to get away from California. And that is a flight which is not motivated in a way that is politically usable by the left. And so I think it's not being discussed. It also is not actually entirely unique to whites. And that would be another reason that it's not being discussed. That is certain places are growing for reasons that are a combination of politics in the case of Florida or Texas, but also of economics that is it is very hard to cobble together a life in a place where your business could be robbed right and so this is something that happened in a uh, as a microcosm in something that we really should do a show on sometime and that is the that is the Rodney King riots oh, yeah. because i think at that time LA was a microcosm of something that is now happening Not just to the entire state of California, but even to lots of different places in the United States, they have been evacuated of all different kinds of people, not only whites. And what replaces that is a very interesting question because it is totally, it becomes sort of a frontier situation, not the place they went to, right? So let's say today there are 10 people in California and Five of them are white and five of them are not. And they're all going to move to Utah within the next 10 months. I, I bet you that's probably literally true as we record this. The question is not just what happens to Utah when those people move there and then they want not just in and out Burger, but they want whatever else they want politically, whatever else. What happens to the place they left after they leave? This is also a fascinating question. And I am interested... For 2022, not just in what happens to Utah when those people get to whatever, you know, Murray, Utah, where they all, all 10 of them move just by happenstance, but what happens to whatever random place in greater Los Angeles that they came from when they leave. Because what replaced not just the whites that first left South Los Angeles, but then the people, all the people that left because it was unstable to have their business there, the Koreans, for example, didn't have the same political power or, uh, gang power in LA at the time that other ethnic groups did. So that that's why they protected themselves famously. What happens after those people leave? So you get sort of these, these emergent frontier situations in parts of America that have become even for their own one party States, relatively speaking ungovernable.
1: Yeah. And, and yeah, what does happen? I mean, you would think the price of, uh, Real estate would go down, but that doesn't seem to be a part of this.
0: Yeah, not yet. I mean, we will have to see. And I think that if you keep an eye on, on some financial numbers this year, don't just look at inflation. Don't just look at the price of Bitcoin. You should do both of those things. But also keep, there are various kinds of real estate investment indices you can keep your eye on, keep your eye on the performance of real estate investment trusts. How they're doing this year, because that's going to be a very interesting thing. A lot of that will tell you more of what's going on on the ground than just you know your, your kind of your freshest COVID outrage or victory. As important as those things are too.
1: One of the things I find difficult to to fathom with is, I mean, California is a big place. Mm-hmm. Um, Emily used Portland kind of as a similar example. I remember during i think it was just 2020 summer prior to the election when everything seemed like it was burning but portland definitely was burning you had the riots Mm -hmm. going on with the courthouses and whatnot. and i was following andy to pretty closely on twitter and, Mm -hmm. and watching all of that night after night um and i remember also seeing uh people tweeting things like you know here's this picture of this view of portland from the hill in my neighborhood where i live and see there's no violence here everything's fine and and so i wonder how i mean california is so big um yeah. that there there has to be that kind of wide discrepancy still in terms of the yep uh there are places where things are are like you said they're they're frontier already they're third world already um and then there's got to be Places where people are like everything's fine, everything's fine right, right. now. Yeah, I did see a, an article about about uh, liberals in I forget what area, you know, suburbanites arming themselves um, and, and taking you know gun classes and whatnot because yep. of the rising violence.
0: Yeah, you also have it. You also have the town of Oroville, which has declared its indifference to certain elements of California and federal regulation for especially COVID regulation. And no one's quite sure what to do about that.
1: <laughs> it's, like, it's like Jefferson so, County, Oregon, kind of thing.
0: Uh, yeah, sort of. I mean, and they're not. They're, if I remember correctly, they're kind of in the greater Sacramento orbit, let's say. So they're not on a border where they would. Well, what are you going to join if you're in Cal? I mean, I guess if you're far enough south and east, I guess maybe you could join Arizona, and that would be better. But Oroville's not in a place to like secede, like a county in eastern oregon and try to join idaho right so they have just said like we're not doing this and it no one is quite sure what to do about that so that's also something you know in a microcosm to watch what happens to oroville and how do they fare because it's it's an example of kind of you know heritage california i mean california having been a reliably conservative republican state up to about the end of the 80s honestly you know, kind of exercising its, its option to, to live differently or to govern differently. So these are all things that are up for grabs. I mean, this is something I think to stress. And if you know enough on the ground about this or that place in Oregon or California, this is something to stress for your own sanity is resistance is not futile there are options. Think creatively. Some people are even doing it, even in Oregon and California. So that is something that we'll just have to see what happens. Because when you get these enormous social and political and economic shifts, lots of things change. Over the course of the 70s, the South shifted from being overwhelmingly Democratic to being fairly solidly Republican, and is totally solidly Republican at this point. And a lot of that had to do with things that no one could have predicted 10 years before that. So lots of things are going to be up for grabs, not just the real estate.
1: Yeah. It, it seems to me that violence continues to be the mother of reformation and that until, yep. until yep. the violence is outside your window, it, it's hard to act, but once it's there, you, you act.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's right.
1: So what about camps in New York?
0: <laughs> so this is a little bit of a New York is that, you know, The Adirondacks are a great place to go camping, but that's not what we're talking about. New York has on the docket, and uh, when this show comes out, it'll still be a couple of days in the future when their assembly, which is their lower house of state, of the state legislature opens up. Lots of different COVID bills on the docket, generally beginning with the letter A, when they, especially when they originate in the assembly. So you can go look these up. One of the things on the docket is the idea of building camps in which, as determined by the governor of the state of New York, threats to public health may be for some time detained. So this appears to be what is already happening in different parts of Australia, not every part of Australia, but different parts, especially the Northern Territory. What I think is This is not entirely unpredictable, let's say in terms of American politics. What is kind of odd about it is that the Northern Territory of Australia is relatively sparsely populated and and fairly unimportant politically and fairly poor, to which it doesn't really have much of an analog in being left-wing plus all those things in American politics, unless maybe you could say New Mexico. New York is very wealthy, very politically important, has a lot of electoral votes, large population, even though it's losing population, still a very large state, and is contemplating these things fairly openly. Now, I don't know that this will go anywhere. I don't know what will happen to, I believe this is A416. There are lots of other COVID bills, such as taking away health insurance coverage for the unvaccinated, lots of things. Vaccine mandates for children, Workers, lots of things on the docket. If you're in New York and you're listening to this, you definitely want to start making some noise about this. But these are all things that, you know, it's like 10 years ago, this is, this is, this is total just Alex Jones. They're going to throw us in FEMA camps, cliched stuff. And we are now openly contemplating it because we finally have an out group we can punish in the unvaccinated. So if you have a certain group of people who are sufficiently evil as in the beginning of both the term and the reality concentration camp, which is the confinement of the South African Boers, the, the rural Afrikaners of South Africa, their confinement in concentration camps during the Second Anglo-Boer War at the very beginning of the 20th century. That's where the term concentration camp and its reality comes from of imprisoning civilian populations indefinitely. We, we haven't really been able to come up with a population like that outside of wartime when we interned foreign nationals and some American citizens. In the Second World War, we, we interned not only famously Japanese and Japanese-Americans, but also in larger numbers, German-Americans and German nationals, as well as Italians, both Americans and nationals. And we haven't had a group like that outside of wartime that I know of in American history. Now we do. We have the unvaccinated. They are a threat. They are wicked. And they are endangering us all. So that is why I think you can even have bills like this suggested. I mean, no one, no one, not even in the most deeply read conservative church going state in the union would suggest criminalizing sodomy again. Okay. Even though that was still on the docket 20 years ago in many, especially Southern states, sodomy was illegal. No one's going to put that up. That's not, that's not coming before the Mississippi house of representatives, the reason that this kind of bill can even be suggested is because we have an out group that is being portrayed as such, and it has a moral weight, you know, and so that's, that, that's something that, that may not actually come to pass this year, but its introduction inside our legislative process is, I think, significant.
1: Yeah, it makes me want to move to Russia. Russia seems like a nice <laughs> free place right now. <laughs>
0: Well, and, and I mean, this is something that I mean, traveling around the country, I mean, any anytime that you traveled around America, you, you always felt like it's it's wild that this is a single national jurisdiction. Yeah, it's wild. Now it feels like many different nations. It's not just that people are different or they behave differently or they eat different food. It's like, this is a different country the rules are totally different what's normal is totally different you know and that that occurs between states let alone regions of the country at this point it's not even cultural it i mean it, the effect of political decision making on everyday life is enormous because you know i mean if if we have you know friends or family visit from somewhere where Covid is still be ta- being taken seriously in public. They are amazed by life, you know, in uh, Indiana, which has not gotten any more exciting, and the weather has not gotten nicer. But you know, Covid just has not been a daily reality for basically anybody here in a long time. Whereas it is if you live in New York City or you live in you know some other part of the country.
1: Yeah. I mean, here here in Rockford, it, it still is a mask mandate from the governor. And I, it's interesting. There is there is pushback. You're seeing mm-hmm. a a greater minority of people not caring about the masks at various times and places. Yeah. At the same time, it's also been so normalized that, right. that the vast majority just don't even think about it. It's just right. part of life is you wear a mask. Yeah.
0: That's right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It was interesting. My buddy and I went to a very large mall in the Bay area in California. And we just, um, I love, I love this guy. You know, he's been into all kinds of crazy theories for years and he's uh, generally been vindicated. So he's got that to look forward to. If you're listening, you know, in 2022, it's probably further enormous vindication, but so he's like, yeah, we're not, we're not wearing a mask. You know, he lives there. Right. So this is like big deal for him. And this is just, you know, Oh, okay. Like I can just be like, like I usually am. For me, this entire mall of thousands of people on a Friday night and a Saturday night and um we're the only two people not wearing a mask. Everyone else is complying. Yeah. Uh no one's but 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 uh and maybe this would be different. I don't know. People in the Northeast are a little pushier, but no one said anything either. <laughs> no one said a single thing. So the future of indefinite mandates and compliance to them and that that gap between what you're doing and how you think about it, right? How many sincere believers are going to be left in this regime by March 2022, June 2022, September 2022, January 2023? How many people are going to believe in this? That's a very interesting open question this year. How many people will believe? Will Will this... You know, nascent religion, or at least a set of very religious practices, have more believers or fewer. My 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 suspicion is that it will have fewer, but they will be a firmer, more zealously orthodox group, because the more disappointments you have, some group of people will believe that much more strongly, even while others fall
1: away. Yeah, I remember watching or or reading about. I can't remember a um. Uh, study of people who believe in end of the world cult kind of things you know mm-hmm. it, I, we've found the messiah and here he is and the date is going to be you know 3 weeks from now and uh, that the vast majority of people who join these kinds of groups who have the date come and go, it has no bearing on their their belief system. They just continue on. They, they go right on with it, even more convinced that the person they're following is their various messiah or whatever, regardless of whether or not it proved true. And it has to do oh, – I can't remember what the – I think it was in the book Influence, actually. Um, But it has to do with uh, cognitive uh, bias, um, having to basically convince yourself that you're right no matter what comes. And the, right. the standard – kind of practice of justifying yourself after the fact. Uh, And so, which again, makes us all very susceptible to the outside and the influence of those outside far more than we're we're aware of, which I guess is a nice segue into learning to assert yourself.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that is a way, I think, of thinking about the processes of collective and individual thinking, decision-making, and action that we've been talking about this week and, and last week is assuming control of your own life, right? And so this begins with your own, you know, your own food, your own exercise, your own sleep, your own use of time, your own Bible reading, and it continues into your own governance, your own school, your own home, your own property, your own garden, whatever it is that you're beginning to maintain, control of and sovereignty over, right? And the process, it's, it's no coincidence that in a time when more of us than ever before are obese and sad and lonely, that we are being governed more strictly than ever, right? A People that have no concept of self-government, even on the smallest personal level of putting the fork down or going outside are not a people that are capable of asserting themselves, even in the face of things that they know are wrong, things that they know enslave them, right? So if you are a slave in very minor things, you will, of course, be a slave in bigger things. And I think one thing that we will either learn or just we'll stop having discussions, anything like what we're talking about Uh, not just today, but on this show, generally, we'll just won't need to talk about it because slaves don't have to think about things. I mean, they get provided for is we will either begin to assert ourselves in these ways, also control over ourselves, or we just won't, we won't be having discussions like this because we will be following the prescribed vaccination and booster regimen. We will be following the prescribed diet even from the people that brought you the food pyramid, which brought you, you know, enormous type two diabetes incidences and stuff like that, because decisions will be made for us. So if we don't learn to make decisions, not, not only collectively, but also in our individual, in our, you know, in our individual lives with very small things, then we won't be able to try to govern ourselves in the future, even when challenges to self-governance are so obvious. I mean, you know, a bill in the state assembly to put people in camps.
1: Okay. It blows your mind.
0: We went to public school. We were taught this was stupid in public school. We were taught this was bad in public school. Now, it was just the Nazis that were doing it, right? We were never told that we were capable of this. As long as we weren't racist or anti-Semitic, we would never do something. like. It. I guess that's the lesson we learned. So maybe that's why we didn't see it coming. But where you have things like you have to say that this, this you know, woman with a penis raped this other woman in jail. This one woman raped this, you know, just, just patently stupid stuff, obvious stuff, right? Where we are expected to go along with things like this. The reason that both they think they can get away with it and we think they can get away with it is because we do not know how to assert ourselves in opposition to obviously horrible and stupid and false things because we can't assert control over ourselves, Right. Those two things are very intimately associated. So I think that if 2022 brings people who are asserting more control over their lives, over their time, over their diet, over their families, it will also bring people who are able to assert themselves also politically, right? So it's not that politics is unimportant. It's just it comes after other things. Conversely, if we have people leading us who cannot assert control over themselves, then we will be in much greater danger collectively because those people will be susceptible, right? Like, this is, I mean, this is the role. This is the role of somebody, as we talked about, like Jeffrey Epstein. Whatever else it was that he was doing, he was getting evidences of self-control, of of slippages of self-control, so embarrassing that the person would be permanently compromised. We're not even talking about that. We're just saying like, if this is a person prone to intense self-indulgence, if he is offered enough opportunity for self-indulgence, he will collapse, right? That's just the way these things work. That's why King's who want to control hostile populations always get people who are compromised from that population to serve them. That's just the way it goes. So if you can assert self-control, you can also assert independence.
1: Yeah and uh, i want to repeat something i said in the last show but it's it's just so important Uh, if you're going to assert anything right now assert some repentance in the face of your holy god uh, personally Uh, repent for being part of this this unclean people with unclean lips repent for having sat so long and being content to eat from the 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 banquet table of, of pharaoh um repent and say you know lord have mercy on on me and my children uh, because outside of uh, a strong hand, really moving more than just one or two of us to uh, to act, uh, we are we are in a very hopeless state. We are in a, mm-hmm. a slave race. Uh, we're not racist, right? We're we're a slave population. Um, and you know what? They, fine. You know, people have lived in in servitude and serfdom for for a long time. But again, being being the serf to the incompetent elite that can't do anything else but stammer in a fit and say, <laughs> "You guys, be nice to each other." You know, that's yeah. that's that's a, that's a bad thing. Um, so yeah. again, it, it begins with a little bit of like, like, straight up, Jesus, I'm sorry, I haven't been paying attention. Jesus, I'm sorry that I have not stood up where I ought to stand up. Jesus, please help me to stand in these times. Uh, because yeah. I, otherwise, again, we're just we're just pissing on the wrong tree, honestly.
0: <laughs> and I, I think that, I mean, it's important to say, like, whatever life was like for a surf in 13th century England, no one was trying to give him a vaccine passport. Okay. So it's not the time for sort of like copes about how good or bad the, the middle ages were. Okay. And I, I too believe that they get a bad rap. It just doesn't matter right now. <laughs> okay, Cause we're not talking about sort of like cozy, traditionally Christian, Whatever it was, if you think it was good, serfdom in medieval Europe, okay? Where you get a bunch of days off and you get to go to church a lot if you want to. Although they didn't think you would because they didn't build the parish churches to be big enough for all the people in the parish to go. So just think about that a little bit for a second. What we're saying is we want to avoid the kind of serfdom into which we are about to enter. Very simple. So we can all agree that that would probably be bad If I need my little phone and my social credit score from what the Biden administration wants to turn into a public credit registry instead of privately controlled credit reporting agencies, I want to avoid that because I want to avoid a Chinese-style social credit system. And I think we can pretty much all agree on that.
1: Yeah, I mean, golly, China does it better, too. It's just just, just, (laughs) they at least have some semblance of competence.
0: Maybe. Yeah, maybe. I mean... It doesn't matter, man. It's not going to turn out well for me. So I'm trying to avoid no, it. No,
1: it's not going to turn out well for anybody. And and again, you know, this veil of tears, we we somewhat want to expect or must learn to expect that it's through much tribulation that you enter the kingdom. But again, you stand or you don't. And it's time mm-hmm. to stand. It's time to stand. Yeah. Which right. doesn't necessarily mean get into the midterm elections, but there are going to be <laughs> midterm elections. Yeah. And I
0: think what I have it in the notes that you and I are working off of is the term limited good. And I think, or in a, in a phrase that I used last week, inside the system versus outside the system solutions, you want both as long as there is a system, which is hostile to you, but in which you are still functioning. So, you know, I, I think it's great when Joe Manchin blocks things that the Biden administration is trying to do. I'm generally on his side in those things. Fantastic. That is not going to solve you know, opioid deaths in West Virginia, his home state. So we need a lot of different kinds of solutions. There are going to be big midterm elections coming up the uh, GOP could do very well. That could mean a lot of good things for the kinds of folks that listen to this show. So great. That's wonderful. Uh, Work for it when and where it does work. For example, it would be wonderful if in a state like Indiana, we had people advocating more fervently for medical freedom in Indiana, rather than subjugating ourselves to vaccine mandates, as long as they're privately applied, rather than publicly mandated by the federal government, which is sort of where we've gone so far in terms of official Indiana Republican politics. It would be great if we had a stronger stance on that. So I would be happy to help with that if I had time. (laughs) But that's not going to solve a lot of other things that matter a lot for the long term, such as the kinds of things that we've talked about, or it's certainly not going to solve my personal health problems uh, that exist if I, if I need to take care of those. So when you think about elections, electoral politics, inside the system solutions, isn't it wonderful what Tucker just said two nights ago or whatever, that's, that's fine. Just understand that those are very limited goods. And don't engage in the kind of naivete that made people think that everything could be solved inside this system. So if they showed up in the right place at the right time, they could last year, 2021, stop the steal. Sorry. Even in a place controlled by people you think are on your side, they may not be on your side. They may be patsies. They may be placeholders for other things and other interests they may not be cheering or playing for the right team. So understand that these things are limited goods in a world in which nothing is quite what it seems to be, as many of us have learned in the past two years. So even if the election is fair or they can't fake it out of reality, still the good available there is limited. And I think most sensible people understand that. I just, it's a reminder Because it's very easy to get caught up in elections as some kind of ultimate solution, ultimate good, because of the way that it bombards our attention, especially in election years, midterms, but also going into 2024. This is going to come to occupy tons of attention, tons of the time. And you have to remember, this is nowhere near the kind of comprehensive set of solutions that would be needed to either build something better or to even shore up the walls of this thing that we still have going.
1: Yeah. I mean, you and I can can I think fully agree that elections are not going to stop the vaccine religion from running its course, whether that right. course is death yeah. by eventually it comes out that they are killing people or whether it's we're going to line up and kill the people who won't participate in it.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think that that is you have to you have to realize that the media matters a lot more for elections, but also than elections. And so, you know, <laughs> if there's somebody that says, I want to treat Twitter like a public utility, I really don't care who that is. I'm interested in what that person's saying because even if it's a political process, that's going to ensure that that happens, which it would obviously have to be in that case because I I need... I need solutions that are out of the box, that are not electorally popular or obvious. I mean, speaking electorally, there's a guy running for Senate in Arizona, Blake Masters, that says a lot of very interesting things like, you should be able to live on a single income. You should be able to raise a family on a single income. I don't hear basically anyone else talking about that or talking like that, much less you know talking about that topic. So there are hopeful signs it it just is not and nor was it designed to nor can it ensure the you know the erasure of collapse that kind of thing will have to come out of as you've been saying repentance out of lots of massive change on a, on a very personal level in our lives that will take a long time and will have very little to do with what the media tells us
1: yeah we we have to want to be something different than those who absorb the media and you know that you can't sit around and wait for the antitrust brigade to go break up twitter uh, at some point you either have to find another outlet um and mm-hmm. or uh, a local group that is more real than what you're absorbing through through the screen um yeah. and a <laughs> I don't know. I, I get it. I get how hard it is to try to live like the Amish. Um, it's it's not really seemingly even possible, and it, it kind of berates the mind of the entertainment raised person. But if if you do not unplug in some way, uh, you are just going to continue chasing these kind of dream scenarios wherein we elect enough congressmen to do what it's, it's not going to change the, the vaccine religion. It's not. This is this is a global phenomenon that seems to be way out of the control of any particular group of people. And you know, whether or not the Pelosi tracker had their finger on what was going on or not, it, it, it doesn't change it. Um, it's going to keep coming. And that's where, again, recognize Recognizing that the collapse is already here, and it's, it's just a matter of things getting uh, more medieval um, as we go. Uh, that <laughs> Again, fall on your knees and, and start praying. Um, and uh, maybe teach your children to do that, too, because they're, yeah. they're the future here, for sure.
0: They are the future. And, I mean, one, one hope and one prayer that I have for 2022 is at least chaos surrounding the reality of Roe v. Wade. If not, it's definite and final overturning, at least for right now. So that is, that is a political process. Our, our courts are a political process. And I, I hope and pray that that is overturned. I do not know what will come after that. It could be that it is much more perilous to be an unborn child, in that case, in the state of Vermont than, say, in the state of Alabama. But only time will tell. My hope and my prayer is that the people listening to this whether they have children of their own or not, or whether their children are grown and they're thinking of grandchildren or great-grandchildren, would be orienting their thinking and their action around provision for those children, provision especially for them to be Christians, provision also for them to have lives that are worthwhile and sustainable in front of them to be able to form families, to have the kinds of things in life that are actually meaningful. So this does not have to do with provision necessarily for a certain amount of education or of future anticipated income. So no matter what happens legally, judicially to unborn children in America this year, we know that for us and for our house, we will and we must serve the Lord. And it's not simply because this is a recognition that children are a future hope and that in case after case after case after case, certain things that used to be the case have completely changed. Example, it used to be that there were plenty of mainline Protestants in the American South. There basically aren't hardly at all anymore relative to the amount of people who were thought at that time, when mainline denominations still dominated even the American South, there were, there were relatively speaking, not really that many what, are, what were called fundamentalists. The fundamentalists seem to have had roughly one more child on average than the average Southerner, and they came to dominate the South religiously. That is one region of the country with a movement that has been self-aware for maybe 100 years, maybe 110. In the case of the fundamentalists, they have completely changed the religious demographics of their region or their, their most powerful region. Okay, That simply has to do with some retention of some children. If that's not done or if that's not seen to, And evangelicalism, both in the South and in other parts of America, is currently having enormous crises, somewhat like mainline Protestants had about 100 years ago, about the nature of the Bible and women's ordination and things like that. Southern Baptists are really going through this very publicly right now. We pray for them this year as well, that they stand faithfully on these issues if that is not done, if there is no provision for the future, if you're just seeking approval or money right now, guaranteed you won't exist anymore very soon. You just won't be there. No one cares about the political or any other kind of power or influence or importance of mainline Presbyterians, okay, in Georgia. They don't matter. They used to, okay, one of our presidents, was a mainline Presbyterian from the South, at least one of them, Woodrow Wilson. Okay. No one cares or knows about that anymore. It's gone. It's over. It's not coming back. So there has to be provision, even in intense difficulty for the future. If there isn't, not only do you have nothing, nothing worth working for, you also don't know, you don't know what you're even trying to achieve. You're not, you're not doing any of this especially changing yourself. Okay. You're not doing any of this to like own the libs or to have a clever retort to your, you know, invisible opponent on the internet, especially the people that are actually also on your side, right? Also actually on your side and you have some minor disagreement and you are pushing it and blowing up. Okay. The reason that you would do what you do, maintain self-control, gain self-control, gain assertion, gain independence in various parts of your life is to provide for children and grandchildren. They may be born, they may be yet unborn. They may not even be yours. They may be somebody else's. You are providing for them because you want them to have something. Okay. And if you don't do it, nobody will. That's that's going to be the lesson of 2022, as it was the lesson of 2021. If you don't do it, nobody will.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Which uh, brings us uh, back to where we started a little bit here with the question about the Lutheran church and, you know, what is it, uh, in, uh seeking approval and money, um, d- does seem at times like what most of the kind of official positions of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod have been, uh, yeah. as far as their periodicals are concerned. But mm-hmm. then, uh, what we were talking about with regard to repentance, and the recognition of the congregation as being a place where there is an altar, and the uh, the, the concordia that exists between altars which confess that there is an end to this world coming, a uh, judgment against all unconsciousness Godliness and evil, which has already taken place in the crucifixion of the Son of God, uh, to, again, put your knee on the ground toward and near that altar that is where you are, and to implore the Lord of the Harvest to keep harvesting At that altar for a generation or three to come. Um, There's not much more worth doing and not much more, you know, polar opposite from seeking approval and money. Uh, The fear of closure. That dominates the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod's clergy rosters, general approach to everything from from mission to politics um, is largely rooted around the concern that there is not enough cash flow coming through uh, as if that were the thing that we're running, you know, the the lifeblood of the church to begin with. Um, So. Uh, from, from my part, and uh, as I have been fairly publicly uh, wrestling with my own level of despair and depression these last couple of weeks, um, it still remains the only thing that I can see worth doing, uh, which is to to come to that altar with the regularity of the Sabbath rest and to believe that from that place uh, there flows a river, which is uh, far exceeding anything else that's going on in, in the news media media in the political state Issues that are taking place, the the sectionality and breakup of Western civilization, all of those things are subjugated to the fact that that those altars have stood the test of time, uh, that uh, leaders and preachers and men of power have have risen and falled, and their stories and their voices have have rung through history like great trees spreading their branches, and yet they all uh, get rolled up and collapsed at some point, and yet that New Testament confession of who jesus christ is Uh, that well it's it's going to be preached here again in many many places this next week for christmas so um to remember that as holy uh, to remember that makes you entirely set apart and to again not be above saying i'm sorry jesus i'm sorry i'm sorry i'm sorry whatever i need to repent of show me it so that i can continue um what worshiping you uh, in, in honesty and truth yeah Closing thoughts?
0: It is going to be a great year because Christ is King.
1: If you're listening to a brief history of power, you know where to find us or you would not be here. Are you wondering where my sermons went or where Saturday morning chill went? Well, sorry, it wasn't really clear about this in every avenue. I figured most of you would find me if you wanted to. But if you are looking for those things, they've just diverged into new podcasts. So you'll have to search iTunes or Spotify for Saved. That'll get you the sermons of Pastor Fisk. And uh, Stop the White Noise with Jonathan and Meredith. That's the Saturday morning show. It is available in audio, again, in Spotify or iTunes. Stop the White Noise and Saved. You should check them out.